Welcome to the Seacoast Vineyard Church podcast. We are a vineyard church located in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina, and we invite you to enjoy this message from God's Word. No ordinary hope. Well, today's the day. We only have a few days left until some of you feel like all hope is gone. Like half half of you probably in this room are going to feel like that. But, you know, here's the beautiful thing is that our hope is not placed and is not in anything that can be taken, shaken, elected, impeached, or thrown down. Our confidence is in the one true God. We are a people of the kingdom who has a king. And this king rules and reigns, and he will rule and reign over all the earth for all time's sake. And we are his people. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture, the people that are in his hand. And so if there's ever a time for the people uh, that are of his pasture to show hope, it's now. And, uh, and so I hope, I hope and pray that none of us have slipped into a place where, you know, we have lost hope. Because, look, you are here on this earth for a very uh, real, experiential reason. One that you're to live out and to walk out for our God. And so part of that is discovering what hope is for us. Because this is no ordinary hope that God gives us. It transcends our situations, our challenges, even our celebrations. This hope is so much more powerful than anything that can be given to us by an election or by a gift to us by someone or, or a loan or the turn down of a loan or whatever's going on in our life. This hope is no ordinary hope. And so that's what we've been looking at. We're going to be at it for a couple of more weeks. We're going to be over in 2 Corinthians in the first chapter of this morning. And, you know, I had a couple of verses. Uh, I, I hope it's in your handout, the fill-in and all. And, uh, and I want to read. The, I, got, I started reading this thing from the first verse down through the text, the verses 10 and 11. And I got so excited reading these verses. I'm like, I cannot not read this, you know, for all of us to try to listen. Have you ever been at a place in your life with God where when you read the Scripture, you just... You had to stop like every other word and go and almost weep or just go, wow, wow. I, you know, even back in the earlier days when I was first a Christian and I would grab my surf buddies, these little surf rats, 14 to 15 years old, and we'd get in all my green, beat up, rotten station wagon and we would read the scriptures together and we'd be at a surfing contest and we'd start reading and we'd all look at each other and go, wow. Is that in there, Tim? I'm like, it's in here, man. Right here, you know. And we'd read it again. And so uh, I, hope you, I hope you let this, the word, like come alive in you because that's what it's meant to do. So let's, let's start at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. For just as we share abundantly in the sufferings of Christ, so also our comfort abounds through Christ. If we are distressed, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which produces in you patient endurance of the same sufferings we suffer. And our hope for you is firm. Because we know that just as you share in our sufferings, so also you share in our comfort. 
We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure far beyond our ability to endure so that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. But this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us as you help us by your prayers. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. Father, bless the reading of your word this morning. Uh, Breathe life on it. Come, Holy Spirit, the very presence of Jesus. Would you come? Be here. Teach us, God. Help me, Lord, in my weakness. Give me the gift of teaching for the next few minutes, Father. Open our hearts to your hope and to your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know, when you start writing, they tell you don't use the same word over and over and over again, right? They're like, find, you know, some synonym or something that you can use. Well, Paul, you know, didn't, he, he was like, this is all about comfort. Did you see that? I think, what, eight times, maybe nine times, comfort, comfort. But also seven, six, seven times in there are troubles, you know, distresses. You have been there. But there's more comfort in this than there is mention of distresses. Paul's trying to get a point over uh, to the Corinthians and, Let me just set this up for you. Paul, if some of you don't know, is a major leader in the church at this point in time. This letter is written sometime in the early 50s or so, 20 years after Christ's crucifixion or so. And and, uh, he is preaching the gospel. He, like so many, were turned around by the love of God and a miraculous intervention by God in his life. He was at one time persecuting Christians and attacking them, hunting them down, putting them in jail, even having them killed. And then through the power of Jesus Christ, he becomes an avid leader in the Christian church. He just does a complete 180. And he gives his life, the rest of his life, to preaching this gospel, this good news of Jesus Christ. And he is full of the presence of God and the love of God. And he has put himself on the line over and over again. To get this message out. Well, sometime in Asia, and we don't know exactly what happened with Paul, but we do know there's two or three things that they tell us, historians tell us, but nobody really knows what kind of trouble he got into in Asia. But he got into such a situation that he feared for his life. He actually said he despaired, you know, that he was like, okay, this is it. I'm, I'm going to die. That's, uh, there's nothing else that's going to happen. Uh, this is it. And, and, uh, but it turned around, and sure enough, He was delivered, and then he comes out of this thing going, I know that I will be delivered, I was delivered, and I will be delivered. And so that's where we join Paul this morning, because he says some things to this church that I think God wants to say to us this morning about hope. And uh, you've got to fill in there, and uh, look at the uh, verses, uh, the first verse, or verse 9, rather, and uh, let's... Just read this. Indeed, we felt we had received the sentence of death. It was all over. You ever been there? Like, there's no way out of this. There is no way out of this. And, uh, but, he says, this happened that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God. Now, he could have stopped right there and just said, but on God. But that's not where he stopped. But on God who what? Raises the dead. That's right. And your first feeling is this. Our hope. First and primary is based on Christ's resurrection. 
on Christ's resurrection. Paul's saying that if we die, God is able to resurrect us. He's going to do that. That was a promise. But he also could deliver us right now. (laughs) Which that would be pretty cool. You know, if I was delivered, resurrected out of this appointment, it looks like with death. If God gives me longer to live and to do what I'm doing, that would be wonderful. But either way, I serve a God, a resurrection God. You see, all of our faith is based on that. If we do not have a confidence in the resurrection of Christ, we really have no hope beyond whatever the situation is in our life. But when we look at the resurrection, we go, wow, on that day when they put Jesus in the grave, all hope looked like it was gone, right? And that's where many of us, we find ourselves. We find ourselves at the grave, you know, like there's no hope. There's none. But the story of Christianity and the power of Christianity is that there is hope beyond no hope. This is no ordinary hope because God raised Jesus from the dead on the third day. And in the power of the resurrection, he gives us hope. Hope for resurrection, if not now in our situation, later. When we are resurrected to serve with him and the kingdom to come. And so in that place, Paul says, that's where we found hope. And... um, I'm going to do a series where we had make our way towards Easter that I'm so excited about. I've been studying for a couple of years on this. It takes me a while. Um, you know, but it's called The Next Breath After Your Last Breath. And uh, I've just been reading and reading about what bit that Scripture gives us of what it's like between that moment that we lay our heads down and, and, and that's the last breath and the next breath we take. And our hope, when we get to these points of despair, have you ever been there where you were despairing and like, I don't know how I'm going to get out of this. I may have to walk through it or I may not make it through this or whatever, but our hope lies in something greater than our own abilities to get out of it or even the circumstance to change. I I am God's, the God who resurrects his son and who has promised to resurrect all those who love him and follow him. And uh, that is a powerful hope. So our hope is based in Christ's resurrection. In Romans 8.11, we read this. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Get this? This is a prayer that I pray a lot of times for people who are sick even. And, and is that, you know, if the Holy Spirit lives in you as a follower of Jesus, think about that. The same Holy Spirit that quickened Christ's body, then he can do whatever he wants in that person's body. Now, it's up to him. It's up to whatever. But, but you know what? That's a good prayer, I think. So always pray, Jesus, you know, Holy Spirit, you live within this brother, this sister. Would you quicken their body? Would you touch them, restore and heal. And of course, the hope is that if it doesn't happen then, it will happen. That resurrection is coming one way or the other. And so our hope, the basis of our hope, is in Christ's resurrection. When um, the NIV application commentary says, believers come to experience the peace that comes from hoping in God's resurrection power. Hope for the future is the engine that creates comfort in the present. Did you get that? Hope for the future is the engine that creates comfort in the present. That's why you can be calm under fire. 
because there is a hope and there is a comfort that transcends the circumstance and in the moment. When we're over our heads, Paul was in over his head. It doesn't disqualify you. Doesn't mean God isn't still using you. Doesn't mean God isn't going to use you when you're in over your head. Matter of fact, Paul says, when I was in over my head and despairing of life, God was just using it to teach me not to depend on myself, but depend on him. The hope of the resurrection. That is a powerful hope. Nobody can take that from you, rob that from you. It is there and it transcends time and it transcends situations. So our hope is based on Christ's resurrection. In verses 10 and 11, we read this. He has delivered us from such a deadly peril, and he will deliver us again. On him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us. What? As you help us by your prayers. And there is the help of hope. As you help us by your prayers. Do you realize you follower of Jesus, have within your ability to help others have hope. That you can fuel hope in other people by your prayers. That's what Paul is saying. And your second fill-in is our hope is broadened through your prayers. Our hope is broadened through your prayers. There's a guy named Jacob DeShazer. He was a B-25 pilot in World War II. 1942, he was part of Jimmy Doolittle's Raiders. Some of you don't know who this is, I'm sure, but some of you do. But they, they would take off from, uh, I think it was the Hornet aircraft carrier. They would fly over into to bomb Japan to, during World War II. And, of course, there was not enough gas many times to even get back. But they would do it and then land back on the try to get back. If not, they were supposed to bail out over China, find a place, and get picked up later. Well, Jacob DeShazer, young man, a bombardier on one of these planes. Sure enough, they were coming back after a bombing raid and did not have enough fuel to get back. They had to bail out, and they bailed out, and uh, he got captured. And he was captured for 40 months, actually, 35 months in solitary confinement, tortured, beaten. Uh, it's it's a, an amazing story, but I want you to hear what his mother, listen to what his mother prayed whenever when this was going on. I awakened suddenly one night with a strange feeling like unto being dropped down, down through the air. Oh, the terrible burden that weighed upon my soul. I prayed and cried out to God in my distress. Suddenly the burden was gone and I drifted off into an untroubled sleep. Something unusual for me. They chased this back to when his mom was praying and it was the exact time the plane went down. That sense that she had, this is 1942, she had of her son dropping, 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 but also the sudden peace that came over her, and she went back to sleep. Now, it doesn't end there, just like your prayers and the influence of your prayers don't end in that moment when you're moved to pray for someone. Because Jacob, though he was beaten, he saw his friends uh, executed, and he went through so much, he asked for a Bible from one of uh, the guards. And the guard got him a Bible, and he read it through three or four times. He even checked the prophecies out in it to see if they were true. Uh, he's sitting in his cell, and he became a Christian sitting in the cell. His mom had prayed for him for a long time. And then he began to treat his capturers very well, even when they beat him. He got his foot stuck in a door one time, and they kicked him and kicked him and hurt him, and, and he decided he would treat them with respect, and he tried to befriend them. Long story short, he did get out after 40 months as a prisoner. He went back 
came back to the United States, and he said, you know what? This was very real what happened to me. So he joined the Free Methodist Church, went to seminary, became a missionary, and guess where he went back? He went right back to Japan. And he spent the next 30 years in Japan. One day, a Japanese pilot, matter of fact, if you saw the movie Pearl Harbor, they show this guy, the main attacker, that was uh, Matsua. Uh, let's see if I can get this name right. I'm just a southern boy. Let's see here. Uh, Matsua Fuchida. Matsua Fuchida was one of the first zeros that came in, and uh, after Japan fell, he was devastated. And uh, he didn't know what to do. And he picked up a leaflet picked up a pamphlet, and on this pamphlet, this was in like 1950, I think it was, uh, the title was, I Was a Prisoner of Japan. And guess who it was by? Yep, Jacob DeShazer. Fuchita picks up the pamphlet, reads it, and goes, I got to talk to this guy. He goes and finds Jacob, and they have a sit down. I think I got a picture of the two of them here. You guys throw that up? You don't have it? Oh, man. Darn. <laughs> I'll preach this again, but I'll do it so y'all won't know it. But uh, <laughs> little tricks. Uh, anyway, uh, there's a picture of them sitting together back in the 50s and, and with DeShazer sharing Christ with him. Well, Fachita comes to know Christ, and guess what? Becomes a missionary to Asia. For the next 30 years of his life, he shares Christ in Asia. Now, don't for a minute think that your prayers don't mean something. Or that in the moment when someone else is going through something really horrible, that your prayers cannot bring hope to them. There are so many testimonies, I'm sure, in this room right now where you did not think you were going to get through it, but somehow, some way, you found the strength. You don't know where it came from. You don't know who was praying. You don't know how many people were praying. But somebody was praying. Someone was praying. And Vineyard, I want to tell you, you have an enormous, not just responsibility, but this great pleasure and invitation to join God in what he is doing in each other's lives and in the church's life by praying. God does respond to prayer. I know sometimes you feel like you're just talking to the air, but you're not. Over and over again, we have examples of this. This building, uh, when we got in this building... The first time we met, Jeff was with us and a couple of other guys were with us. And we, we came to this place and we got in one of the rooms down here and we prayed. It was wintertime and we just fell on the floor and we started praying over this building. Is this where God wants us? And it was funny because we all just kind of raised our heads up off of that roach-encrusted floor and, <laughs> and, and looked at each other and went and smiled. We just kind of smiled at each other and went, this is it. This is the location. This is where we need to be. To be a blessing to our community right here. This is it. And you know what? But we didn't know how we were going to get it because the price was millions of dollars up there and we didn't have any money. And uh, so the river was wide. And, uh, but anyway, we, I made an offer that they would not even respond to the bank that owned it and you know, said, we're not, that's an insult. And so we called the church to a 27-day fast and prayer because this is on 27th Avenue. So we all fasted at least one meal, and we prayed that God would intervene, and we all set our hearts on, we want what God wants. That's what we want. Now, this is absolutely no exaggeration. On the 27th day of that fast, 
I get an email. We accept your offer. That is absolutely no exaggeration. I still get chills thinking about it. And uh, it's just an amazing thing when God's people pray together. When we focus our prayers on our impact in the community or on someone in the church who has a need, God listens and he responds and it brings hope to that group of people or to that person or to that family. And that is the power that each one of you have. And I've told you a hundred times, that, you know, just say your words. Look at Paul. He just repeats comfort a hundred times. That's not really good writing. You know, but we get the, you know, the, that, that he, gets the, he gets the point over, doesn't he? I mean, it's redundant over and over and over. Do you see the comfort, the comfort and the distress, the comfort? He gets the point over and we get it to this day, 2,000 years later. We're like, yes, we get it. And so the prayers, our prayers mean a lot for the hope of others. It means a lot for this church. We've got, you know, we've got a great vision ahead of us. There's all kinds of things that, that might go on around here and are going to go, uh, going to happen, but only if we pray and we seek God together and only if we're focused. And uh, that's the power that you have with your prayers. In Acts 12, uh, there's this very cool story of Peter. He's locked up in jail. Uh, if you remember this, and all of a sudden, you know, the jail shakes, it opens, and Peter walks out of the jail in Acts 12, and, and he looks, and it looks like everybody's asleep. And he's like, man, what, what's going on, you know? And, and Peter just walks on out, and he goes to uh, John Mark's mother's house, and he knocks on the door. Well, guess what had been going on at John Mark's mom's house? They've been praying for him, right? Praying for him. Well, Rhoda, Rhoda, this young girl who is part of the prayer meeting, hears somebody knocking on the door, and she goes to the door, and she looks out, and there's Peter standing there. Now, she's part of the prayer group, and she goes, <gasps> slams the door. You ever, you ever read this? These are stories in this true stuff right here. And, you know, and, I mean, she runs back to the group. Well, Peter's left outside the door still locked, you know, and she's going, hey, Peter's out there, and they go, get out of here. And they're praying for him. To be released. You get that? You, do you see it's okay to be who you are? And even when you're praying, going, I don't know, God. You know, but you just keep, you keep going, okay, God, come on, do this. And finally, they come and they open the door and Peter comes in. And there's a huge celebration because Peter was released. I mean, that's the power of prayer. The things that we do here in the church, the way we reach out to people, the way we want to build community. We may end up building an auditorium on the other side of this wall. What do you think of that? You know, I wonder where we can get us all in there and really have a celebration. We, we need prayers to focus and to find the will of God and to support one another in what God is doing in all of us. That is what we see through the prayers of the saints. And it's our joy and our responsibility, both, to pray. And uh, I know many of you have your stories right now that you could tell of uh, how people prayed for you. The guy that led me to Christ, Danny uh, West, I call him every May 1st because that's kind of my birthday, spiritual birthday. I call Danny and I thank him. And, and he tells me this every year. He, he goes, a day has not gone by since May 1st, 1971 that I have not prayed for you. Not one day. Not one day. And I can tell you that those prayers like that are immensely valuable. Because there are going to be times when you despair. and There are going to be times when you feel like, hey, there's no way out of this. How am I going to get through this? Whether it's a building, 
whether it's a situation you're going through or whatever. And the prayers of those who care for you are trying to bring hope to you in that moment. And Paul says, as you prayed, as you prayed, in other words, we were delivered out of that situation as you prayed. So I just would encourage you, those of you with children, you know, that you're praying, don't give up. Do not give up praying. Continue to pray. Continue to pray for your business. Continue to pray for your spouse. Continue to pray for your church. Continue to pray for your friends. And uh, it means all the difference in the world, uh, in their lives. Your third one here, your last one is this. Look at the results of, of this prayer and of this, uh, this hope of the people. Then many will give thanks. Then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us in answer to the prayers of many. That's verse 11. And that is our hope is experienced by the many. It multiplies. Our hope is experienced by the many. Um, Jacob DeShazer, coming out of his situation there, uh, they said that when he first got back onto the land in Japan, when he got back there, that the first year he saw 30,000 people come to know Christ. The first year. There was a 10-day outreach that he did where as many as 10,000 came to Christ from this POW that went back to love the people that God loves. And... So there is a return on that hope over and over and over again. Uh, Matsua Fuchida, I mean, think of his life. He had lost all hope because the emperor was his god. And when the emperor finally went on the radio, if, you've ever, if you read your history, it's fascinating. But when the emperor, they finally had him go on the radio and him basically say, I am surrendering. Which basically said to all of the Japanese people, I am not a god. Because God would never surrender. He had lost all hope. Fuchita had lost all hope. But once he saw who Christ was, and he saw it through Jacob DeShazer's eyes and through his heart and through his hope of introducing him to Jesus Christ, Fuchita's life changed. And so did all the people in Asia that he ministered to for the next 30 years. Many people end up worshiping and celebrating God because of the prayers of you, of the people of God, as they pray and they pray for hope in others. You may never see it. And I know this is uh, kind of a, a trite little uh, saying, but we always go, oh, those grandmothers are people who are praying for someone that nobody knows about. They're going to be the heroes in the kingdom to come and all of that. And you know what? I, I believe that's true. But the thing is that when you get a million grandmothers praying, you know, and you get five million grandmothers praying, or if you get 10,000 teenagers praying, or if you get any group of people praying about any situation, the hope of God will come and many will worship because of it. It's not just about us. It's about the many. And many get to worship and praise and celebrate, as Paul said to the church in Corinth. This church, this wildly diverse church, this church that had some Jewish believers in it, this church that had pagan believers, this church that had slaves in it, of whom the slave owner happened to be a part of the church too. Can you imagine trying to deal with that, trying to get the slaves freed up to be totally looked at as brothers and sisters and not 
owned and such as that. That was a part of this church. And so he is saying, look, church, you prayed together and it caused my deliverance. You have great power in your midst. And I believe that's the word to us today, that the help of hope is your prayers. The help of hope is your prayers. So, Father, I pray now, I pray right now that those of us who are seemingly empty of hope, we feel like we have no substance, that you would breathe life on us even now. First of all, God, my memory goes back to the beach after you have rose from the dead and you're cooking that breakfast for your disciples. You're sitting on that beach out of the grave cooking some fresh fish and you look out and you say to them, friends, have you caught anything? Lord, sometimes we, like they, come up empty. But honestly, God, if we can see you on the beach, rose from the dead, risen from the dead, that is enough power to cause us to paddle in and get to you just as quick as we can, Lord. And there is hope in that. And Lord, there is hope in those who pray, who speak words to you for others, who say, God, would you birth in them hope and Even in their moment of distress and despair, would you bring hope to them? Because either now or later, you will resurrect them. We pray for now, but Lord, either way, you will have the final say. And they will, they will come out of that ground. And they will be found, fine. Spirit of hope, would you come now, right here, in this auditorium. Come, Jesus. Just take a moment with Jesus now. He is our hope, the hope of glory. Right? Just breathe in and just, you know, let it fall off of you. Let the struggles and the moment where you are. Come, Come, Jesus. Come, Spirit. I pray the comfort that is your hope to those who have maybe received uh, some diagnosis or heard something they were not looking for, that your hope would come, your peace would come, your comfort would come. And yes, we pray, Lord, for resurrection now, for healing now, but our hope is in you. Our hope is in you. We lift our children up to you, God. Some of us weary sometimes and, and trying to want to see something. And we just want to see some response to you or some change. And 
We can grow weary in hoping too, God, but you never grew weary with us. <laughs> and you don't grow weary with us. You have a hope for us, Lord. I hope to be your brother, your sister, to serve with you forever. To become fully what you always dream for us to be with you in your kingdom. Come, Holy Spirit. Thanks for listening to the Seacoast Vineyard Podcast. You can learn more about us and access a video archive of our messages by visiting seacoastvineyard.com. If you feel led to support us financially through a one-time or recurring gift, please click on the Give tab at our website or download the PushPay app on your smartphone and search for Seacoast Vineyard Church.